It's not like these days, you spoiled rats being able to stream Bluey any time of the day or night. By the way, uh, if you are somehow uh, not aware of the show Bluey, I say this to our listeners uh, and to uh, my co-hosts, you may be under the impression that Bluey is a kid's show that adults can also watch, and it's not. It's an adult's show about growing up and being a parent that also is funny enough and age-appropriate enough that your kids can watch it. But that show is legitimately fucking hilarious. And uh, if you want something to just, like, have on that's, like, low stakes but great humor, watch you some fucking Bluey. Fucking love that show. You are being watched. The government has a secret system. A podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But newbie or diehard if your episode's up we will find you hello and welcome to the library for podcast of interest this is a rewatch podcast for person of interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated my name is justin and joining me are my two associates my veteran operative jude and our new recruit anna jude anna it's fucking war crimes time (laughs) Yep, yep. I was so excited to be back in the war crimes, uh, I made a gif. I went and found an example of John Sheridan actually saying the word war crimes. I googled the Babylon 5 scripts and grepped it for the word war crimes and found Sheridan saying war crimes and then snipped out that clip and then subtitled it in Comic Sans because that's how much I... That's how much... I love Sheridan doing war crimes. <laughs> I I can't believe that this is this is like one of the ongoing bits for this show. I I would not have guessed that when we started this. Frankly, as somebody who like spent an inordinate about has spent a non-zero amount of time looking at the BattleTech rules for NCBD warfare. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I mean, if you know, f- this is a fun topic. So, BattleTech is a is a tabletop game that involves. Uh, it's about mech combat. It's like it's the thirty first century. It has rules for punching, like for punching and shooting mechs. It also has rules for nuclear weapons. Of course, it does. Spe- yeah, if you if you want a game where you can do war crimes, BattleTech is basically your go to. Your go-to I mean, game. you have napalm, like like you have na- <laughs> like you have specifically you have napalm that you could use as there, alternate munitions. Uh, yeah, you you got the incendiary bullets. You I mean like you have built-in like mech flamethrowers. Oh damn! You know for for yeah. and you know like white phosphorus rounds for artillery. Like you, there are some really specific rules in this game. My God, and it's, I mean there are rules for calculating like orbital periods in BattleTech. 
<sighs> oh, nerds. We've discussed what our next show is, so I'm not going to say the name of it, but I will ask, will we will we be using the War Crimes air horn on our next show? Yes, yes we will. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that is the only criteria I care about. There's a uh, well, whole, no, that's there's a whole episode. There's Are a there, whole episode is there, devoted to it. There are multiple is there, episodes about is war crimes. Is there queer shipping and is and uh are there war crimes? Those are the two things I care about on the shows we cover on this show, on this podcast. Technically, person of interest uh doesn't count as war crimes because there have been no there have been no wars declared. So shrug. <laughs> uh, um, though we 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 do though though it is important to note. That War Crime Central, The Hague, is mentioned in these week this in this week's episodes. I feel like we don't have to get into it, but I feel like we've had some war crimes. We've had we have had people committing crimes across international borders. I, I mean, I feel like we've 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 gotten there. Anyway, speaking of potential war crimes, let's talk about somebody smuggling highly infectious, p- potentially pandemic viruses across borders. Yeah, um, so this week you're covering episodes 7 and 8, Honor Among Thieves, and Point of Origin. I have Honor Among Thieves, so I shall take it away. Our number this week is Thomas Karoa, an international wine deep. No, he's a thief. He's a thief. Um, he's in town to run a job. The team places Root on his team after getting one of his team arrested on drug charges. Shaw, not Root. Shaw. God, why do, why do I do that so often? Well, you know how, like, just, with a couple, sometimes when they look a little bit alike, you sometimes get them mixed up? Yeah. So they steal a safe from the hotel, which turns out to have a case in it that does not contain the jewels that they all thought they were stealing. A double cross hop in, and part of uh, Tomas's uh, team steals the case to ransom it. Oh, the, the case, it turns out, is samples of Marburg virus. You know, like Marburg hemorrhagic fever? Um, hey Xanthers, boot up the war crimes air horn because the gang is gonna sell this to the gonna gonna sell it to the highest bidder. So, what to do when you have to recover a highly lethal virus from thieves? Stage another heist. But there's a complication. Two relevant agents from the government side are here to contain the situation and then destroy... No, sorry, they're here to recover the virus for their own uses. Shaw and Tomas recover the virus, and Shaw encounters Grice, the agent she trained with, and he lets her go. On the Herald and Root side, they're investigating a man named Jared Wilkins, who's behind a mysterious project backed by the New York government called OTPS. Upon looking into him, it appears that it's one tablet per student, a plan to give tablets to kids that is being funded by Samaritan in the long run. Harold and Root sabotage the operation, despite Harold's misgivings if they are doing the right thing, as Harold couldn't really actually find anything sinister about the project. I have some thoughts about Harold in this in this yeah. stretch of episodes, but like Samaritan literally hacks into Root's phone as she's sitting in this guy's living room. I feel like yeah. it can get into these tablets that it is custom designing. Mm-hmm. No problem. And at the very at the very least, it can surveil using them. Like, even if it's not doing, like, anything more, like, actively malicious. Yeah, the problem is less yeah. the code that is there to begin with than the potential the platform for for it to deploy code into once it's in place. So I have a question. You can't 3D print a tablet, right? No. <laughs> I was like, this is like, a lot of things of like, 
I'm very dumb when it comes to hardware. But no. I think you need I I do not think microchips can be manufactured by a printer. Uh well, or can they? Am I really this no, dumb? No, you can, so there are some some people have have attempted to 3D print silicon but not successfully and not at scale. You could like quibble that maybe he's using that, those printers to just 3D print all of the the cases and mm-hmm. the uh the circuit boards because you do you you can use printers to do the um PCBs. So it mm-hmm. could be that he's 3D printing cases and he's he's doing uh, like printing for all of the uh, components, and then they're going to have like an assembly team to like put all the, put them together. But uh, yes, no, you cannot like have one machine that like spits out a tablet every every couple hours. That's not how that works. Uh, yeah, okay. But I, I just I figured that I was like, this sounds. Hmm. I can sufficiently hand wave it to not for it not yeah. to be yeah. a thing that I that bothers me. I like I thought that they were probably just making the circuit boards and like that they had an easy assembly process and that uh yeah which is why I was like I mean I I I would have to assume that it's all going through like the thing because otherwise destroying the print like or like sabotaging the printers feels like the least expensive part of this well I mean the most the, replaceable part of this the part the point they make is that the guy spent 11 of the 12 million dollar grant on yeah. all those printers. So with yeah. the printers destroyed, like the grant money's gone and yeah. it's unlikely he's going to be able to get it back. So this is an episode that happens. And I remember thinking it was a real fun episode uh, in the year of our Lord 2014, which was a long time before uh, the presence of an actual fucking pandemic yeah. completely changed it's our still society. It's a fun episode. It's still a fun episode. It's a fun episode, but I find the threat of a pandemic to be when it's not, you know, academic to be slightly uh, sobering. It kind of it kind of sours the taste of the episode very slightly for me. Yeah, but I do really enjoy uh, bisexual icon Shaw. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally drooling way. over over this guy yeah. while at the same time. Uh, like fending off roots, uh, you know, in her ear at the bar. Like that scene is hilarious. And gosh, I yeah, Shaw is just great in this episode. She's fantastic. Um, I have, I have, yeah, I love Shaw in this episode. From from her like complete like discarding of her old crew because they they're like eight seconds late to yeah. her. <laughs> just yeah. She's funny. Um, yeah. I also really love Root in this episode. The two of them are very funny together. Root, like, tried very hard to be, like, cool Root and not jealous Root as she sees Shoff, like, drooling over this thief. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, like, Root in the, like, earpiece is like, ooh. Yeah. That's <laughs> spicy. Fan, fanning my face here. Yeah. Uh, I have a question, though. Yeah. Uh, Root mentions zip ties in a way that is definitively not theoretical, which raises <laughs> the question. One of those two, let me put it this way. There's nothing vanilla. I think we can safely say there is nothing vanilla about Shaw and Root. I mean, yeah. considering that their, fir- their first encounter involved electroplay. Yeah. So who's the top? Yes. 
I think that they are verse for verse. Just I, 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 I listen as somebody who's like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like say this. I think that I think that our society worries too much about top bottom identification, and realize that most people and like realizes that like you know a lot of us are good both giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. We can sling it and take it. I could see both of them being. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, like until until one of them starts flagging with hanky code, I'm not going to worry about it too much. I'm going to assume they're. Yeah. Which is a, a very funny thing when, like, you go to wrestling shows and you see that people are doing it unintentionally as part of like their ring gear. Very funny. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this episode, though, uh, that is not root Shaw shipping is the conversation that Grice has with his bloodthirsty apprentice about yeah. Um, yeah. how the ISA has changed. It's fascinating that back in the machine days, part, one consequence of the machine only giving numbers is that it, it made the ISA agents use their own individual conscience, not conscience, but like they had to run down the number and mm-hmm. determine what they were doing mm-hmm. and assess what was the right course of action. And they had to like use actual spycraft too. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're just hired guns. They're pointed right. at an individual and told to kill them. And I think that's a fascinating way of looking at the difference between the machine and Samaritan. And I think it's not at all surprising that as a consequence, the ISA has a weird habit of producing people who care about doing the right thing. Because mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I in one sense it is I mean, this is just narrative storytelling because I would say that the security state uh, security state um, produces a lot of people who are not interested in, in in getting questions answered, but are rather about closing cases and seeing bodies in the ground. Um, but at least within the fictional construct of the ISA, it does create the. We have at least three that we yeah. see yeah. that are interested in the question of like why is that have been trained by the machine to be curious. Yeah. And to be moral. And that's a consequence of how the machine works and the way that it constructed its relevant operations teams to handle mm. it. Although clearly, clearly based off of what we saw from Collier's uh, backstory, that is not uniform across the No, it's, it's clearly not, not uniform. But I do think it's interesting that it, it happens. That like, yeah. this is a thing that happens. But clearly in the new ISA, that's not going to... That's not a thing that's happening because they don't have that opportunity to exercise that individual uh, that individual uh, conscience on a given case. They just follow orders. Grice is like he hesitates for one qu- instant questioning why why the orders are changing, and the, the guy on the other end of the line is immediately like barking at him. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it's interesting. Um, we're gonna we get a lot of. This run of episodes here, there's a lot of interesting reflection on the compare and contrast between the machines, the machine and Samaritan. And I think this is, you know, one of the ways in which we see them compared is the ways in which uh, the relevant agents operate under their under their various control. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Grice, he is an 
especially as like a modern site, like from modern sci-fi perspective, he is an, I know that face King. Um, (laughs) I knew his, I literally knew his face. I didn't know what he was from, but like, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, Oh, I know this guy. Yeah. He's also got like, he has, he has a very distinctive voice. And yeah. Yeah. For me at least. Uh, so he's played by Nick Tarabay, um, who's done a bunch of stuff. He, he is a burn notice alumni. Dope. But what we, what all three of us would know him from is he is in the expanse. Yes. Um, he mm-hmm. is Avasarala's aide or bodyguard oh, or whatever. Okay. His, okay. Yeah, no. Her little sp- her, her spy boy toy guy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. He's, he's been in a, he was in a bunch of stuff that I loved. Like he was in Longmire, which is a series that I like personal favorite of mine and he was in spartacus for a, for a lot of stuff which is very <laughs> good the spartacus tv series is actually really good no i'm i'm <laughs> and so, i'm not la- I, I am laughing at the show a little bit but yeah uh the things i know about that show are are not you know deep yeah yeah uh but yeah and oh he also played captain boomerang in arrow <laughs> Which is so funny. <laughs> like, oh, it's like, that's right. The man who is, as far as I could tell, has never set foot in Australia. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think that Captain Boomerang has a whole lot to do with Australia, though. I mean, I, he, he is Australian. Is he? In the, it's not important. Man, now I want to watch The Expanse. That's a great... Is is Captain Boomerang appropriating Australian culture? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Okay, no, 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 no. no. He he is Australian. Okay. 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 I was like, is he... Sorry, no. Is he appropriating Australian stereotypes? Stereotypes. (laughs) That's really what it is. Because he's a 60s DC character. He is not a three-dimensional person to to start off. (sighs) With the um, with the reveal of what was in that, uh, what was in that safe, the the method that they use to get the safe and open it horrifies me. <laughs> it's so yeah, gosh. because like the fact that they didn't open that and just find like shattered vials, vials shattered and like virus smeared everywhere is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. There's some great lines in this one too, with the like Harold Harold being real snarky. <laughs> um, with the yeah. we can add another grand larceny to our last list of accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. And fine, we'll commit your felony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I made note of that one as well. I think that was a really good line. Yeah. Um and the Samaritan scene. Seeing Root impersonate the um, you know, the employee as you know through Samaritan view is really interesting, and seeing how it like picks up that she is an imposter with the like gate mismatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great line that I liked was, uh, "I couldn't bear it if anyone hurt you besides me." <laughs> the most on one of the most honest bits of uh, Root dialogue ever. Yeah. Can we also talk about how this thief te- like this thief team is incredibly Euro trash? Yes. <laughs> like everybody here is a different European stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we have sexy Russian lady. Yep. <laughs> we have um we have 
dude from like I mean I don't know if he's Spanish or Portuguese, but like like Tomash is yeah. no, sorry it's Tomas he's not he's not Czech uh, it's to, like Tomas Tomas whatever it is yeah um, which by the way let's 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 talk about how his name is a fucking direct reference named Thomas Caro it's fucking Thomas Crown God oh wow. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. And this apparently is not like this is uh Justin was saying that this episode is like a reference to the Tom to Thomas Crown. So it's I not mean, like, yeah, I mean like everything it's it's I mean it's a it's a reference to a whole bunch of like uh heist films. Like the whole like they they're called the 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 gang is nicknamed the hole in the wall game, which is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Shaw says that she worked for Macaulay's crew, and that's a reference to Heat. Like nice. somebody had fun with this script. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. 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 There's there's a lot of great bits in this episode. It's 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 very fun in a lot of ways. Um the music also slaps. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. The music in the bar scene where she's flirting where Shaw is flirting with Tomas is fantastic. Yeah, this is a, a really fun episode. I liked the little dig uh at the end. Where uh, Harold Shaw uh, Root says uh, "mission accomplished" sort of sarcastically, and Harold says "famous last words." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's very well written. Yeah, it's 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 one of those just like tight singular episodes. Yeah. Um, also, let's just talk for a moment about Root as a as a French daddy. <laughs> Woof. Um, <laughs> oh, God, man. that accent. Root has a lot of strengths, but a French accent is not one of them. <laughs> it's 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 like in the vein of like the Eurotrash thing. It's like somebody's imagination of a sexy French nanny. Yeah. It's uh, a gr- it's a fun episode, though. I think there's a lot going for it. And I think as like. Compared to some of the episodes we talked about in the last couple episodes, which were weaker yeah. standalone episodes, this is one of the strongest ones. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's everything I've got for this one. Yeah, same for me. I, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I like it when the show dabbles in other genres, and yeah. this is no exception. Definitely. Agreed. All right. Anna, I think you've got Point of Origin. Yep. So this one's written by Tony Camerino and directed by Richard J. Lewis. So John's got a new job, sort of. Uh, He's field instructor for weapons and tactics for the NYPD Academy. He's keeping tabs on their latest number, a trainee named Danny Silva. Silva is surveilling her fellow recruits, and John and Harold suspect that she plans to eliminate her competition in the Academy. After initial surveillance of their own, however, they realize that she's actually already a cop in internal affairs, is working undercover to expose a Brotherhood mole within the Academy. While tracking a Brotherhood member who opened fire on John, Silva, and unintentionally, John's new therapist, uh, cue horny music, it's bad. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Fusco and Shaw discover that Minnie is, in fact, Dominic. They also identified the mole as one of Silva's fellow recruits uh, who has agreed to steal Silva's files in exchange for clearing his uncle's drug charge. Stealing files isn't the only thing on Dominic's agenda, though. Silva's handler is killed and she's framed for the murder. 
They learn where the mole is hiding, a drug cartel base, and arrive in time to prevent his murder by the cartel. After the cartel, goons sound the alarm and everyone, including Bear, who is apparently scuba certified, uh, <laughs> escape. They, they all escape through a hole that John blasts with a grenade in the swimming pool, uh, connecting it with the sewers. In the aftermath, Dominic is angry about the cartel's mishandling of the situation and goads the cartel's second in command into killing his superior. Silva is cleared of the murder and she and John part ways. And back at headquarters, Harold gets a new number. Carl Elias. Throughout all this, Team Samaritan has been ex examining the footage of Shaw from last episode, with Martine taking the lead on the fieldwork. She visits Katya in jail under the guise of a lawyer, and Katya points her in the direction of Romeo. From there, she inter interrogates Romeo and forces him to reveal more information about Shaw. This gives her what she needs to track Shaw back to the cosmetics counter. And our episode ends with Martine pulling a gun on Shaw. Da da da! Honestly, putting John, who needs a kneecap when you've got bullets anyway, Reese, <laughs> as a academy trainer, is the most police accurate thing this show has ever done. Also, also <laughs> the like... The trainee banter at the start of the episode is, like, so utterly disgusting. Yeah, that feels accurate. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, I, have, I have a gripe with this episode. Fragmentation <laughs> grenades do not work like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those. I, I mean, this is one of those things that in Hollywood, explosions are magic that just open doors and kill people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just like, like, no, like, like this is like one of those things of like, come on, we've all watched MythBusters. We know what water does. It is in fact one of the, you know, it's such a dense medium that it just, you know, you can't blow stuff up in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But on the other. On the other hand, we get to learn that Bear is scuba certified. I oh god, I love that. He, and the like, shot of him like jumping enthusiastically into the water is one of the best things that, the show that has given dog me. Is, that dog is having the time of his life. Yeah. yeah. I love that dog. He's having so much fun on this show and it's so good. So I, I have a question though. Yeah. Do we think that Bear was scuba certified before he was adopted by John and Harold, or do you think that they trained and certified him? I think that I think that not not Bear's previous owner. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Maybe the one before that scuba certified him. Uh, maybe, but I also do like the idea of like Harold like seeing an ad for like scuba certification at the water, at the pool where he he does like his like water therapy for his back and gets it and is like hmm i wonder if you can scuba certify a dog because he just wants to protect bear under every possible circumstance mm -hmm. you know it could be it could be also one of those like fancy like a really really fancy doggy daycare sort of situation <laughs> that provides like enrichment for high maintenance intelligent dogs um, because you know, you know, like if you have a border collie, like if you if you go to like a nice enough doggy daycare, your border collie can like herd sheep and stuff. Or 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 ducks and geese is more is more common. Than yeah, sheep. yeah. Yes. 
I, I would believe either of those. Because I could totally see there being like a very expensive, very exclusive um, doggy daycare in Manhattan that's like, yes, we will scuba certify your dog. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that I have ruined that music for you both. God damn it. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know, like, I didn't, like, I didn't even think about it. I like, I didn't even think about it. And now, and now it's all I can hear. Yep. Yep. Now, when you hear that music, you think, you think about John getting a semi. I am going to, uh, instead bring us over to Martine, who sadly, I mean, feels like a spiritual, like, like not in, like, she feels like a spiritual successor to Hirsch, except less fun and much more deadly. Yeah. I, I don't think she's, to me, she doesn't feel like a Hirsch. She feels like pre-machine team Root or Shaw, who got, gets grabbed by, who goes the other direction. Like if Root had never met the machine team and just continued being who she was, or if Shaw had... I think she's a Shaw and not a Root. Yeah, no. Well, she does, she doesn't seem to have like the interest in the technical side of things. Yeah, not that not in the technical sense, in more in the like amoral sociopath sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm also I'm referring more to like narrative function here. Yeah. Mm, okay. Like she is the person who will draw a gun in a crowded in a crowded uh, store to shoot a target. Yeah. Yeah, I do love the zero fucks that Martine has just utterly. I, I appreciate that. Like she understands that with Samaritan at her back, she's invincible and is therefore willing to just whatever draw a gun in the Macy's who gives a fuck. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. 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 Like, like, like Hirsch, like I need to go. I like, Oh, the man in the suit was 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 put into Rikers. Okay, I'm gonna fire a gun in Central, like in, in Times Square. Yeah, yeah. To get arrested, like Martine has that level of fucks about yeah. everything. It's absolutely a, a thing Martine would do. Yeah, yeah. I I 100 believe that. Um, and in that respect, I I agree. That's that's very cool. Yeah. No, I really like Martine. Uh, I don't think she's a particularly deep character. No. But I like her as like yeah. We're going to get a couple of these of like various, like various Samaritan assets who are not very deep characters. And I think Martine might be the best of them. Yeah. There's like one in season five who is like the wet blanket of these. <laughs> um, <laughs> I enjoy how vicious she is. Oh, yeah. she mm-hmm. She's she's delightful in a like, oh, this is she's awful way. Um we also find out that she was a former investigator of the in, at the Hague, so war crimes enthusiast. Yeah, my girl, <laughs> yep. we stand. Yep. Yeah, that begs the question: like, how do you go from being a Hague investigator to a war crime committer? I mean, I guess I'm, uh, I'm making the, Justin I'm is making, making the, the money, the, the, the money, money fingers, like the money rubbing the fingers together. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You tell you tell her that she's capturing terrorists, offer her like a 30% increase on her paycheck, she'll say fuck yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh Martine seems to really like shooting people. I don't think she does this for the paycheck. 
think she well, does I mean, this for the freedom but, to shoot things. Well, it, it's you you offer the th- you offer the pay increase so that for incentive to move from I mean, listen, you've really got to you've really got to give someone an incentive to move from the Netherlands. <laughs> to to freaking america to new york city wolf yeah yeah hey maybe like the one place the one place and le- like you know hey it, it's somehow she's moving to a less populated place to- <laughs> or a less densely populated place should we talk about like this weird ia plot i think the ia plot like the idea like oh hey like dominic is trying to get somebody into the like academy yeah, I think this is interesting because this and the next episode are going to they basically directly because this shows that it's been a couple of years since I got this far in the show because I don't know sometimes sometimes you when you do a watch through you like you peter out halfway through yeah um, you hit saturation yeah and you're like I've hit what I need I don't need to watch all of it which is fun. like I think I usually hit that like mid season like like at the end of season three mm-hmm. I could tell you exactly where I usually peter out. Like I didn't remember. Like I like the the complaint I had in our last episode where I'm like, the Brotherhood is not picking up wins, or even like feeling intimidating. This is a nice change where yeah. even if they don't get everything they want, it feels like they've won. Like mm-hmm. the only real win for Team Machine here is that Danny's alive. Yeah, yeah. Dominic's a weird character. Uh, yeah, I maintain that they the show is not the the gang the gang plot lines are not the strength. Yeah, I don't. I mean, between this and the next episode, um, episode uh, nine, th- the next episode is great. It's but, great, but Dominic's but not, not for, why it's great. Yeah, yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that in next week's episode. Yeah, um, but there's the show is really still trying like. It knows what it what what it wants to do with Dominic and the Brotherhood, but it it, it hasn't like dialed in how to do it. Yeah, and it has moments where it works, but a lot of the time it's flailing. Um, and this is an episode where I think you see that a little bit. Um, and sometimes it, sometimes it really works, and sometimes it it doesn't. Um. And this is an episode where you get both ends of that spectrum. There are parts of this episode where, the, as Justin was saying, the Brotherhood really feels intimidating. And um, I think the actor who plays Dominic is great. And so when Dominic's like on his, uh, you know, I'm a sociopathic gang leader speeches, he he feels like a real leader. Yeah. But then like the as a gang, the Brotherhood does not feel like yeah, it's hard it's, to like feel like they actually he, are as threatening as they say they are. Yeah, there is a detail like one of the details in this one definitely kicked it up a notch for me, which is that it explained why the why the Brotherhood has been gaining power, which is that it's been like absorbing the cartels. Yeah, and it's other been gangs. doing it's been doing yeah, it's, an Elias. Yeah, it's been doing what Elias did originally in the start. Yeah, yeah. and that's something we'll talk about more in next episode. I'm sure. Let's see. Um, I I have a note that I am like from from a Watsonian point of view, I am shocked that that safe house of team machines has not been burned from a doyalist perspective. Um, I'm sure they just didn't want to make another set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Who knows? Maybe it was under one of Harold's like safe identities. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. No, considering how many of their numbers they've taken to that safe house. Yeah. And how (laughs) wildly free with like, oh, we're just random people that help out people. Like just how frequently they just openly discuss their mission without, I mean, they don't say the machine, but they're just like, yeah, we're just a random team of mercenaries that help people out. Like you'd think somebody would have been like, you know, talking to their therapist two years later and been like, man, I was just thinking the other day about this weird fucking thing that happened. And Samaritan's like, oh, really? Tell me more. (laughs) I just refuse to believe nobody's ever mentioned it. And then gone and looked through their cell phone GPS log and been like, interesting. You spent two days in this one weird abandoned warehouse that supposedly nothing's (laughs) in. Uh, Like people forget that their phone knows everywhere you've been. Yeah. I don't know. This is one of those things that like, this is why I'm not allowed to be like a player in sci-fi games a lot of the time. Cause I know enough about computers to like be a, to be a bad time for a GM. <laughs> I think this is one of those things where you like MST three K motto it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for people who, who have not watched mystery science theater, it's just, it, it's just repeat to yourself. It's just a show. I should really just relax. <laughs> Which is honestly how we should all consume media. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. critical evaluation is good, but also don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, like, don't worry about it when you're, like, thinking about the little things. Worry about, like, how, like, you know, the Harry Potter game is, like, really fucking anti-Semitic. And, oh, wait, uh, I'm getting, I'm, they're playing <laughs> me off. They're playing me off the music. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd that shepherd hook come from? <laughs> As a very small detail, I would like to express gratitude that nothing horrible happened with that compass um, because oh, I was like, like, I was like covering my eyes. Like Vic comes out and you're just like, <gasps> I was and every they, time I watch that you. episode, I am expecting Dominic to shank that guy with that compass. Oh, I was expecting something with like an eye. Yeah. Yeah. I do like. That the way that he just hands the gun to like the number two, and he's just like, "Go ahead, take care of it." Yeah. Which I mean, hey, let other people do your dirty work for you. Yeah. Well, that's one aspect that I I I do like about Dominic that his extreme nihilism gives let helps him leverage the 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 dynamics within these gangs because he's just like, "Look, you want to?" He very it very much gives him a lever to move these these people he he does it in this episode and he'll do it in the next he'll try it yeah. and do it in the next one i think that yeah the, like we'll talk a little bit more in the next next one but like this the nihilistic note of like dominic's philosophy is it's so interesting of the we all die in the end so we might as well make it the be- like we might as well go out on top is it's very interesting in a sense of just like, where does this come from? And like, it's a very, like there, it doesn't ever feel like it's, there's no greed in, um, there's no, there's no greed in like Dominic's real plan. It's all a quest for like power. Yeah. The, the, the story he tells about being like the kid in the back of the class who believes who's, you know, comes to believe that he's capable of anything. It very much feels like his his driving motivation is 
conquest more than uh, I want to like be rich and famous, rich and wealthy and have all these things that I couldn't have as a child. Yeah. I mean, like the actual number, like she's cool. So I have this thing. I have this idea Mm -hmm. that like could be could be a very fun thing. An RPG you play after like season five of Person of Interest because they're reasons um, where you play a new team that is all composed of former numbers. Ooh, I feel like she would be a very good like mm-hmm. like remove her from the cop situation. I'll have her as like a private investigator or bounty hunter, but she would be excellent as a like a next gen team machine. She could also be a decent next gen Carter, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting concept for a game. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's like there would be like three people in the world who would care about this, and you, sh- you know, be great. Yeah. Um, like it would be one of the hackers they've saved, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, yeah. Of and course, then, Leon's like, there. You know, and like have one person for muscle, but yeah. Um, I'm good. I I'm I think I'm all thoughts out on this. Yeah. Yep, Beyond the fact so. that um Shaw stealing Shaw stealing shit from her job, good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and like what a fucking cliffhanger. Like Yeah. <laughs> God uh, the the yeah, the bag of free samples. <laughs> hey, you want some samples? Samples. And it's just yeah. a handful. Uh what was the machine thinking giving Shaw that cover identity? My God. You know, Did some people I've worked with, it's, I mean, I think it's a very normal cover. And, you know, having worked with some people, she is not stealing as much as some people I've worked with. Well, I, I'm not thinking of the stealing. I'm just thinking of how utterly terrible she is at that job. Yeah. Um, like the when the when the, when the woman comes up to her being like, "What are your tips for eyeliner?" and she's like, "Dial it back, honey." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine like what cover identity do you give her? Because Shaw's not the 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 identity she was given is perfect because she her real job is crook. Yeah. Yeah, her yeah. real job is thief, and then she has a shitty covered job. For as, being a thief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it, it works. All right, well. All right, I think we're done with these. We are going to be covering episodes 9 and 10 uh, next time. The Devil You Know and The Cold War. Shit's getting real. We're, about, yeah. we're up to the mid-season. Until next time. <laughs> We are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Mm-hmm.